Today, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip open to them right now. Otherwise, you'll be able to follow on the screen behind me. One of the things that I love most about the book of Philippians is the tender, heartfelt compassion between the Apostle Paul, this mighty man of God, who the Bible describes as growing more and more powerful and baffling people with his ability to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. I love that he wrote this book with his protege, Timothy, and he sent it to a church that he and Timothy helped to found. They were there. This was, in fact, where Timothy first met the Apostle Paul, was right in the same chapter we get the founding of the church in Philippi. Now, I love the fact that the correspondence between the mighty apostle and his protege to their beloved church is so heartfelt. I hope that you have had a protege in the faith. I hope that you all have a Paul. I have had a number of Pauls throughout my life, and am I grateful for it. I want to tell you a little bit about Mike Brady. Not that Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch, but it is the exact same name. Mike Brady was one of my Pauls. When I was 19 years old, I'd already dropped out of college because I couldn't handle newfound faith and newfound freedom, and they warred too mightily in my life. And the newfound freedom overwhelmed my newfound faith, and I found myself living in sin in horrible ways, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And I dropped out of college, I gave up my scholarship, I moved home to my mom's basement, and I started selling used cars. And as a used car salesman, I was the only car salesman at a little dealership in Columbia, Missouri. And I didn't have the greatest feeling about my boss, but I needed a job, and so it was all right. And the third day I worked there, there came in this fellow named Mike Brady. Now, Mike Brady was like a bodybuilder-looking kind of guy. He was 41 years old. He was, he was as old as my dad, almost. And he was this guy that was this bodybuilder kind of guy. He rode his bicycle to work unless he rode his motorcycle to work. He loved to work out, and he loved to build, and he loved to be healthy. And he told me the reason that he loved all these things is because he tried sin for so long before. As an over-the-road, long-haul truck driver, he dabbled in all kinds of sin, and he recognized that was no way to live. And so he found the Lord Jesus, and he accepted God's grace, and he was saved, and he had been building a life of faithfulness ever since. And it was on that very first day, he saw me, and we were eating lunch together, and he said, you're a Christian, aren't you, kid? And I said, yeah, yeah, how'd you know? He said, well, I couldn't really tell, but um, I said, what do you mean you couldn't really tell? And he said, well, I mean, I've only known you for a few hours, and I've already seen you looking at a couple of different ladies. I've not seen you do anything that makes me indicate it, but the Holy Spirit's telling me that he thinks you're a believer. And I said, I am. He said, well, you don't really act like it, do you? And I, I, I was taken aback by the boldness of this guy. And he said, tomorrow morning, show up. 45 minutes early, we're having our daily Bible study. And I said, yes, sir. And I showed up every day, and we showed up early, and we read the Bible together, and he taught me how to live the faith. I'd had another Paul who taught me that the faith was real and true, 
and reasonable, but I didn't have enough time with that Paul. With this Paul, with this Mike, my Paul now, he showed me how to live. He showed me how to pray. He showed me how to read the Bible. He showed me how to live a life of faithfulness. And I'm so grateful for that. Years of my life, I reflect back upon the lessons that he taught me. Because he wasn't the most intellectual giant of my life, but he was one of the most faithful giants in my life. And he said, Andrew, you have got to be the dumbest smart guy I've ever met. You could be running this car lot, and we're working for this guy who makes it hard to be a Christian. You need to go to school. And I said, Mike, I tried that, man. It didn't work out. He said, you need to go to school. You need to go. If you want to sell cars the rest of your life, that's fine. Go to school, and then when you're done, you can own this car lot. But you got to go. I said, well, Mike, I don't know where to go. He said, I don't care where you go to school. You just got to go. But whatever you do, serve. You got to serve God Almighty. You got to serve God Almighty with all your life. And I said, Mike, I, I want to, but I've got this job here. He said, kid, you got to sacrifice. This job is nothing. This job is nothing compared to what God has for you. And you've got to be willing to sacrifice. And Mike Brady taught me, I've got to go. Mike Brady taught me, I've got to serve. And Mike Brady taught me, I've got to sacrifice. We'll see some of these exact same themes in our text this morning. Let's look at the first two verses of our text today, which sets up the whole rest of the passage that we'll consider. But we've got to focus in on Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, have you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Obedience. Obedience is a really important Thing that we have to keep in mind. Do not miss the connection between the obedience that Jesus showed as was described in Philippians chapter 2, especially verse 8, which says that Jesus became obedient even to death, death on a cross. Jesus, who stepped out of heaven, became obedient. And then there's a connection between Christ's obedience and the obedience that Paul expects Christian followers to demonstrate in light of what Jesus has done here in Philippians 12, or chapter 2, verse 12. Obedience. What kind of obedience is the Apostle Paul talking about? Lots of people, when they think about Christianity, think that the Apostle Paul is talking about obedience to rules, to the law, because obedience is the key to growing mature in Christ, but does that mean we have to be obedient to the law, obedient to the rules that the world puts on the church? No, no. The law exists to cast into stark relief the disparity between God's perfect righteousness and our imperfect unrighteousness. The law was not designed to make us right with God, but rather, it was designed to let us know that we cannot be right with God under our own power. That is a monumental truth, and one that not even enough Christians embrace. 
The world would have you believe that in order to be a Christian, you've got to give up on having fun. You've got to give up on doing the things you enjoy, and you've got to start following all these different rules. Because, after all, it's all about obedience. So start living obediently to the boring side of life. Ugh. Who'd, who'd want to be a Christian if that's what it's all about? I would not want to do what that is. I would not want to be a Christian if that's what it was all about. No. Obedience is the key to growing mature in Christ, but it's not obedience to a list of rules or to the law. No, the obedience that supercharges our maturity in Christ is collaboration with God Almighty. We should obey through collaboration with God. Collaboration is far different than the law. Obedience to the law is one-sided. There's the law, and you must obey it. It's very one-sided. Collaboration, however, is interactive. And by interacting with the triune God of the universe, we can tap into the power that God Almighty offers. Yes, obedience is the key to powerful Christian maturity. Obedience through collaboration with God. Obedience to collaboration with God. A person in obedient collaboration to God can be said to be Father-willed, Christ-compelled, and Spirit-led. Now, what does it mean to be Father-willed? Well, if you're Father-willed, then that clearly means you're seeking to do what the will of our Heavenly Father is. Just as Jesus prayed, our Father in Heaven, Heavenly Father, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in Heaven. We are all about the will of the Father. So we collaborate by being Father-willed, but we also collaborate by being Christ-compelled. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 tells us that Christ's love compels us. In a world that's full of people who are opposed to us, and in a world that's full of people who don't know the truth, Christ's love compels us to persuade people to the truth of Christ Almighty. His love is what compels us, and so we are Christ-compelled when we are collaborating with God Almighty. But we're also spirit-led. Romans 8.14 says that those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Collaboration with God is most certainly learning, discerning, and living in the Father's will. But collaboration with God is also understanding the nature, person, work, and victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and His love that compels us to reach the world around us. Collaboration with God is understanding that you have been adopted and you are a child of God. And if you are led by the Spirit... You prove that you are a child of God. And so we must be father-willed, Christ-compelled, and spirit-led in our collaboration with God. Because if we are spirit-led and Christ-compelled and father-willed, then we can analyze the very end of verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13, which says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation. 
Continuing to work at your salvation is a peculiar phrase that lots of people misunderstand because how much are you involved in the salvation process? I just got done saying we have to collaborate with God, but right before that, if you were paying attention, I said the law was not designed to make us right with God, but to show us that on our own power, we can't be right with God. So if we can't save ourselves, but we must collaborate with God, how does that work in the Christian life? What is your level of involvement in your development? Well, one of my themes in my ministry here at the Glendale Christian Church has been to talk about the three aspects of salvation. I think this will be the 49th time I've done so. There is, and you know the words by now, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is being saved from the penalty of your sins. Sanctification is being saved from the power of your sins. And glorification is being saved from the presence of sin. Now, justification happens when Jesus, who's God Almighty, steps out of heaven, lives a perfect and sinless life for us, dies on the cross having never sinned in our place since we are tremendous sinners, and then is raised from the dead. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential for our justification. That's what Romans 4.25 says. And Romans 10.9 and 10 says, If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. How much are you involved in justification? I'll tell you, it's summed up in one word, faith. You have faith, that's it. You don't do anything to earn your justification. You don't work for your justification. You can't do anything, and you can't work for your justification. God does it all, and by faith, you accept it. That's it. That's how you're justified. But that's not all salvation is. Salvation also includes sanctification. And sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. If you're justified and you're right before God because you're covered by the righteousness of Jesus... Sanctification is growing more and more like Jesus. And this is where we get to work out our salvation. It means to not work to become saved, but to work out our salvation, to let our salvation work out in our lives so that people can see how we are saved. If you are justified by God's saving grace, and you have accepted by faith that grace and are justified, now you are commanded to work out your salvation through collaboration with the Holy Spirit. You collaborate with him, and you grow more and more like Jesus. This is sanctification, and you are entirely involved in sanctification. Jesus does not sanctify people who aren't willing to be sanctified. The Holy Spirit does not sanctify people who do not keep in step with him. The Father does not bless sanctification of people unless they embrace his will. God will still do the work, for that's what it says. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is doing the work, but you are collaborating with him because he has changed you so that you start following his will. It's God who works so that you can will what the Father wills. It's God who works so that you can act as Jesus compels and as the Spirit leads so that you can fulfill God's good purpose. 
You are involved. So when Paul says that we must work out our salvation, oh, that's what he means. We have to work out by seeing our salvation evident in every area of our lives. We have to work out our salvation. Sometimes it's easy to focus on the salvation of others, but just if you were thinking about spiritual health like physical health, if you don't take care of your physical health and you become unhealthy, it's more difficult for you to continue to care for the physical health of others. You have to worry about your soul, not just the soul of others. You have to grow mature in Christ so that you can help others to grow mature in Christ. We must work out our salvation, and we must do so with fear and trembling, but do not misunderstand. We don't work out our salvation because we're afraid of God, but we're afraid of not working our salvation out in our lives. If you understand that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, then that means the thing that you should be afraid of is not collaborating with God. The thing that should make you tremble is your failure to collaborate with God Almighty by being Father-willed, Christ-compelled, and Spirit-led. And if you are fearful and trembling that you are not doing as God commands you to do, then obey and collaborate. Obey through collaboration. It's not obedience through the law. It's obedience through collaboration because it's God who works. God is doing the work you just have to collaborate. It's not your power. You are not the engine driving the train. You are the coaches being pulled by the engine. Don't be a troublesome truck. If you have a little kid and you know about Thomas, the tank engine, you know full well that Sir Topham Hatt, the leader of the Sodor Railroad, always tells Thomas to be a really useful engine, to obey what he's supposed to do. But Thomas doesn't always do a great job. And did you know that Thomas, the tank engine, was actually originally written by the Reverend W. Audrey as an allegory of the Christian life? And so Thomas is like us. And we want to be really useful, but we keep screwing it up over and over and over again. But there are troublesome trucks that make it hard for Thomas to do what he wants. Don't be a troublesome truck to the engine and locomotive of God working in your life. Instead, collaborate. And when the engine pulls forward, move with him. And when the engine slows down, Slow down with him. Collaborate with God Almighty so that you can obey God Almighty. It is God who works. And we must be willing to let God work in our lives. So now that we've looked at the two key verses, the idea of obedience and working out our salvation so that God can work in our lives. Now, let's look at the application of what it means to work out our salvation through collaboration with God Almighty by reading verses 14 through 18. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. 
But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Now, if you've been paying attention to our sermons over the last few weeks, you'll notice that that phrase, blameless and pure, should send warning bells in your mind and be like, I know that I've heard that. Where did I read that before? And if you read the book of Philippians every day, you'll see this concept of purity and blamelessness coming together. In chapter 2, we see that we should do everything without grumbling or arguing so that we may become blameless and pure. This should remind us of what Paul said in chapter 1, verses 11, 12, uh, 10, or 9, 10, and 11, rather, about the prayer that he had for the Philippians, where he said, May your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be pure and blameless. Being pure and blameless, being blameless and pure, are goals that we have. Being pure and blameless are being Christ-like. If you are going to shine like stars amongst a wicked and crooked generation, you do so by being pure and blameless. But purity and blamelessness does not come by following the rules. It comes through collaborating with God Almighty. You are pure through collaboration. You are pure and blameless through collaboration. God has already done the work. You are not saved through human effort, but through divine achievement. And now that you have been saved in the justified sense, you work out your salvation in the sanctified sense so that we can become pure and blameless. This is the prayer. Well, and as we seek to become pure and blameless, we will shine like stars in a wicked and corrupt, crooked generation as we hold to the word of life. We need to shine like stars. It's very important to do this, but the way that we will shine like stars is through collaboration with God and as we hold to the word of life. If you cling to the very words of Jesus, if you cling to the very words of uh, the text of Scripture, you are clinging to the words of life. And as you hold the very word of life, the Logos, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who stepped out of heaven for our sake, who lived a perfect and sinless life for our benefit, and who finally took our place on the cross bearing our punishment and taking our scorn, he was buried and raised from the dead for our justification. This is the gospel message. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Messiah, now reigns as king of the universe. And the ancillary and overflow good news of that is that you can shine like stars in the heaven. You can be blameless and pure. You can be right with God. And all you've got to do is collaborate. All you've got to do is accept his grace and become father-willed, Christ-compelled, spirit-led collaborators. This is what we do. And when we cling to these words, when we cling to the word of life, no matter what circumstances befall us, we can rejoice. Paul says that he can be glad and rejoice even if his life is being poured out like a drink offering. Because do not forget, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter with his protege Timothy to the church in Philippi under house arrest in Rome. 
and he's awaiting his trial before Emperor Nero of Rome, and Nero will either allow him to be free or will have him executed. Now, we know a few years later, the end of the story is that Paul eventually will be executed. But before he's executed, he also writes, he writes Philippians and also writes Ephesians and Colossians and Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. And he's doing the work of the Lord. And even though he knows that his life might be poured out in death like a drink offering, he's full of joy. He's full of joy because he's collaborating with God. This is God's will for him. He's doing as the Father wills. He's doing as Christ compelled, just as Christ was willing to go and to serve and to sacrifice. So too, the Apostle Paul is willing to go. He's willing to go to Rome. He's willing to serve along the way on these missionary journeys, he's willing to sacrifice even his very life so that other people can have a better shot of understanding what God is doing. It is a powerful, powerful thing. But now, the Apostle Paul wants to highlight two examples of shining stars. And he's going to talk about two men that we've already heard about, but we're going to see how they live out collaboration with God and how they shine like shining stars in the sky amongst a wicked and crooked generation. Let us read verses 19 through 30 of chapter 2 this morning. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon, but I think it's also necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill, and indeed he was ill. He almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. These two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are truly shining stars. Timothy is described as Paul's humble son in the faith, and he is humble. Remember that Paul, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Our mindset should be the same, who humbly stepped out of heaven and looked to the interests of others. And now Paul uses that exact same language about his protege, Timothy. It says that he, in humility, looks to the interests of others above his own. This is what Timothy did, and this made him a true son in the faith. 
a true son in the faith. The Apostle Paul considered him his son. He wasn't his biological son. In fact, we know a little bit about Timothy's biological dad. His biological dad was a Greek, and his mom was a Jewess. And so when Paul came across and he found Timothy, whom everybody spoke very well of, he asked him to join him on the missionary journeys, and he had Timothy circumcised so that he could better interact with the Jewish people as Paul took the message first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And Paul saw that Timothy's dad was not a believer, but he saw that he could pour his life into Timothy, and Timothy could be a believer and now, here's Timothy, helping Paul to write a book of Scripture to the Philippians. Paul will send him to the Philippians. Paul says, I want to do this so I can send him to you so that I can receive news when he comes back. He wants to send Timothy out on a mission. And eventually, Timothy will end up as the preacher in the church at Ephesus. And he will have a long and fruitful ministry there. Oh, Timothy is a shining star, but so is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is described as being, by Paul, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And then he's also described as being your messenger. You sent him to me. Epaphroditus is willing to go. Epaphroditus is willing to serve and help Paul. And Epaphroditus is willing to sacrifice. He got so sick that he almost died in serving and helping the Apostle Paul make sure that his accommodations were livable. Because it's hard to live when you're in a tiny little apartment in Rome, literally chained 24 hours a day to the Praetorian Guard. And so Epaphroditus was there to help care for his needs because not everybody in Philippi could go. And so Epaphroditus went. He went. And this was a powerful, powerful thing. These two men are shining examples. They're shining examples precisely because they know how to collaborate with God by being willing to go anywhere by being willing to serve anyone, and by being willing to sacrifice anything. If you're willing to collaborate with God, that means you should be willing to go anywhere you need to be sent. It would not have been easy for Timothy to leave the side of his beloved father in the faith, the Apostle Paul, and go to Philippi. But he was willing to go if that was God's will. And it wasn't easy for Epaphroditus to leave the comfort of his home church in Philippi and make the arduous journey to Rome to help and be and comfort the Apostle Paul, to be with the Apostle Paul. And then, now, having almost died, to leave him and go back to Philippi. But he was willing to go wherever God willed it. Where's God willing you to go? Collaborate with God by being willing to serve anyone. Timothy served Paul, but he was willing to go and serve the church in Philippi. And later, we see that he's willing to go and serve the church in Ephesus. Epaphroditus served at the church in Philippi, but he was willing to go and serve Paul. A servant-hearted person is one who collaborates with God and is available to the Lord to serve anyone the Lord wants him to serve. So who is the Lord asking you to serve? Collaborate with God by being willing to sacrifice anything. Timothy had to give up his own interests. He had to become a servant of Christ. Epaphroditus gave up his health and almost died. He fell gravely ill, but God had mercy on him. 
so that the Apostle Paul would be spared anxiety and so that the people in Philippi would receive their beloved messenger once again. He was willing to place his life on the line to bring God glory. So I have to ask, what is the Spirit leading you to sacrifice? You got to go. You got to serve and you got to sacrifice. That's what Mike taught me. My Paul, my Paul, Mike Brady, he taught me that. He said, kid, he loved to call me kid because at the time I was 19 years old. I was a kid. Now I'm 41 or 40 years old. It was 21 years ago that I talked with him. And 19 years old, he looked at me and he said, kid, you got to go. I said, but Mike, I want to work here. He said, you got to go and you got to serve and you got to sacrifice. And so I found my other Paul, and I asked where he'd gone to Bible college because he was the smartest Christian I'd ever met. And he said, oh, I went to Ozark Christian College. And so I went back to my, my Paul, Mike, and I said, Mike, I'm going to go to Ozark Christian College. And he said, all right, kid, that's good. Your birthday's in two days, and school starts next week. You better get on out of here. Back then, you could apply right before school started. They were, they were pretty desperate. It was August 17th when I applied to Ozark Christian College, and August 20th I was there. It doesn't work that way these days, but I needed to go. He said, you got to go. And so I went where I knew I could learn the Word of God. And when I was there, I learned how to serve. And I learned that I have to sacrifice. And I don't do these things perfectly, but I seek to serve in the ways that God has called me to. I seek to preach and to teach and to serve. I seek to do things that I'm gifted in doing, and I seek to do things that I'm not particularly gifted in doing because I'm called to serve, and I'll sacrifice. I gave up my dream of being a used car salesman my whole life, and I gave up my mom's dream of being a high-priced, big-city, slicked-back lawyer driving a Lexus, which was my fallback, go back to school and become a lawyer, but I knew I had to sacrifice that dream because if I didn't sacrifice that dream, I would let all of that freedom of being a high-priced, slicked-back, big-city lawyer overwhelm my faith again. I know how weak I am, and because I am so weak, I have to surround myself with God's stuff, with God's people, and I went to Bible college, and I work in a church because I'm weak. But where I'm weak, God's grace makes me strong, and where I'm weak, God works through me, and even though I was weak, God used my weakness, and he took me to the secular university, the University of Arkansas. And for 10 semesters, I taught secular students. And for 10 semesters, I battled secular professors. And I got my second master's degree and my PhD in philosophy by debating and battling genius-level thinkers who do not love the Lord. Because where I'm weak, God made me strong. but flashed back to my having just gone to Ozark Christian College. It was Labor Day weekend, and I got a phone call. And I said, hello? And the young lady on the other line said, is this Andrew? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, Andrew, I found your business card. It looks like you sell cars with my dad. And I said, oh, I, I, I used to. He told me I gotta go. And so I haven't seen your dad for about a week. And she said, you're not gonna see him ever again. She said, my, my dad died in a bicycle accident yesterday, and I was going through his stuff, and I saw your card, and I wanted to let you know. 
because I think you were the guy he talked about once in a while. Um, I always just knew you as kid. I said, yeah, that's me. It turns out that Mike, who, remember, was a very strong fitness guy, he'd won the BAM, the bike across Missouri, where you start in St. Louis or Kansas City and you ride across the state to the other and then you go back, and it's a 36-hour deprivation bike ride challenge. And he died during the BAM of 2000. It was 20 years ago this weekend that he died. He was on one of the roads, he was driving, his wife was driving his support vehicle in front of him along with his best friend, and they were on one of the roads in Missouri that was kind of twisting, because you couldn't just ride down I-70 all the way, and so they, they mark out the path for you to take, and there was a truck driver, ironically enough, a long haul over the road truck driver just like Mike used to be, who dropped his cigarette and reached down to look for it and started to veer a little bit off and smashed into the back of Mike's bicycle. He went forward, his helmet did too, it slid down, and then as it whipped him back, his head smashed into the back of the truck, and Mike died right there, in front of his wife, in front of his best friend. And I cried, and Mike's daughter was crying. I'd never met her, and I was crying selfish tears and she was crying selfless tears, and I thought, I'm never gonna get to see Mike again. And I thought, this girl's never gonna get to see her dad again this side of heaven. And I said, you know your dad is in the Lord, right? And she said, yeah, and so am I, and so I know I'll get to see him again. And I said, and so will I, because it was your dad who said, you gotta go, you gotta serve, and you gotta be willing to sacrifice. And so I gave up my job, and I, I'm now down here at Bible College. And she said, I know that made him happy. My Paul was poured out, not like a drink offering, but in a horrible accident 20 years ago this weekend. I don't know if you consider me your Paul, and whether you do or don't, that's okay, but here's the word of God, and here are the questions to wrap up. Where is the Father willing you to go? You want to collaborate, right, and be Father-willed? Where is he willing you to go? Who is Christ compelling you to serve? You want to collaborate with God, right, and be Christ-compelled? Who is Christ compelling you to serve? You want to collaborate with God, right? Be Spirit-led? Who is the Spirit, what is the Spirit leading you to sacrifice? These are the questions. What is the Father willing you, where is the Father willing you to go? Who is Christ compelling you to serve? And what is the Spirit leading you to sacrifice? These are the questions I want you to think about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to say just a few more things. Would you pray with me just right where you are, just seated right there? And would you pray thinking about these questions? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we want to collaborate with you. We're desperate to collaborate with you. And so here we are asking that you, Father, would will us. Asking that you, Christ, would compel us. And asking that you, Holy Spirit, would lead us. Father, where are you willing me to go? Christ, who are you willing me to serve? Spirit, what are you leading me to sacrifice? God, we love you, but don't you dare just take our word for it. 
see it in how we live and in our collaboration with you. This we pray in your perfect name. Amen. Typically after my prayer,